Okay, good evening, everyone. I hope that you are all uh, settling in okay. It's not to say that I uh, hope for you or intend for you to be uh, comfortable or to have what you want. Um, but I hope that you're settling in okay. I don't know about you, and I, I think it probably depends on how much retreat practice you've done, but uh, for me, in those, those moments when I really inhabit the recollection that what I'm doing is aimed at kindness and wisdom, something in me really relaxes. There's a part of me that doesn't need to do anything else or be anywhere else. It's to some extent how I've come to think about deepening retreat practice is just to stay connected to that intention that something noble or good or worthwhile or valuable or useful or skillful is being cultivated and even remembering that I don't even as a teacher that I don't always know what the work will look like or feel like to get there but uh, that there's a long history of practice and community Uh, there's a immense flow of Dharma that we're stepping into when we do this work and so I guess I'm inviting you to trust that to the extent that you can and we're we're also we're not trusting it a hundred percent we're actually testing it at the same time so we're trusting it to some extent and simultaneously testing it Already you've heard uh, a fair amount of teachings and uh, some meditation uh, technique. There's, there's five of us. Dave arrived and Kathy's doing some teachings. So uh, quite a lot of different, uh, different voices. And uh, just want to offer a a really genuine reminder that uh, the different perspectives and the different techniques, uh, the different teachings are offered uh, for you to see what resonates, what uh, lands well for your uh, particular personality, what lands well given your goals, what lands well Uh, given your own uh, developing personal style of practice. Uh, I think it's it's particularly useful that there are a lot of voices and that there are a lot of uh, different approaches, uh, in part because uh, my understanding is that we all learn very, very differently. And I I also mostly believe that all of these teachings are doorways. All of these teachings are uh, doorways into seeing the Dharma, seeing how things actually work, seeing the, the truth of our lives. And any one of these teachings or perspectives or techniques uh, can ultimately lead to any or all of the others. And so in some sense, uh, in a very practical way, perhaps they all hold the possibility of leading us to a place where we would be more free, more content, or more happy. So these teachings are are leading us away from dukkha, uh, away from uh, discontent and toward uh, 
greater emotional and physical well-being. And tonight I'll try to talk about that transition uh, at the at the level of body from the perspective of the first foundation, mindfulness of, uh, of body. So say a few words about why we, uh, why we start with the body. It's not, uh, it's not unusual that on day one we offer both instructions for concentration and that we specifically, as, as Josh uh, did this morning, and that we orient them around the body. Uh, on one level, it's, it's quite obvious, I think, that the body in a sense, and this, and this does differ from person to person, and there's a uh, reasonable discussion to be had. It would be a, a whole other talk, but there's a reasonable discussion to be had to the degree this is true relative uh, any traumatic history. But uh, to generalize a little bit, and I hope you're okay with that, the body, we could say, is a fairly uh, gross or coarse aspect of human experience. And so we start there to create uh, a simple foundation of mindfulness, a simple foundation of awareness, and uh, we build on this. And this is, this is ultimately what we'll do as the, as the week goes on. Another reason we start with the, with the body, I, you know, I like to talk about the simple fact that, well, we all have a body. <laughs> um, and, and, and most of us, I don't want to say all here, though I'm, I'm, I'm quite inclined to, I'll be honest about that. Most of us probably often have the preference to be in another body, to have another body, or at least to have other kinds of bodily experiences than the ones that we're uh, having. Particularly, you know, if there's any kind of uh, significant pain or chronic illness or uh, as those of you who sit retreat know, the body is often going to be uncomfortable. And at the beginning when I said that uh, by settling in, I'm not hoping for you that you have that you'd be comfortable to have what you want. It just it comes from that knowing, having sat a lot of retreat, that uh, the body is not going to be the body's not going to be comfortable, right? Do you know this? Just in being here for a day, yeah. Do you know that if you do away, so simple and yet. Uh, even for those of us with practice, so hard to do. Do you know that if you do away with the idea that it needs to be different, you're already more free? That you're already better off? And so you can test that. That's, a, uh, that's testable. Right? So see what happens if you, if you try that. <clears throat> So this, uh, this idea, this possibility of uh, wanting another kind of uh, bodily experience, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've, this is not really uh, the talk, but when I was thinking about what I would do tonight, I, I thought, well, you know, well, one avenue I could take is I could talk about how I'm self-conscious about my own body, you know, and... Um, you know, it's like noticing that every time I walk by the mirror, I kind of double take. It's like, who's, who's that guy? <laughs> you know, like there's a part of me that doesn't like that guy, just, just on the level of body, right? Um, just, just the physical manifestation or presentation of uh, me in the world. It's pretty powerful, right? So we can begin to understand uh, something about dukkha, uh, something about discontent, uh, even for some of us, something about uh, self-hatred or self-criticism in the myriad ways, ultimately, particularly on retreat, the myriad ways that we reject the present moment at the level of bodily experience, right? What's the first thing that happens when 
you're really uncomfortable, you move. Uh, or just the notion, you know, just the, the added layer of I don't want, I don't like. If we learn to pay attention to the body, uh, the body is always telling us something, right? The body is always telling us something. It needs a cigarette. It needs to watch TV. It needs a drink. It needs chocolate. It needs sex. It needs to be distracted, numb, kept busy in some way. But my sense is that what the body ultimately seeks in all of this is escape from pain and unpleasant experience. And in this we can see, uh, we can begin to learn that what the mind seeks perhaps is freedom from the loss of control in our lives that underlies our conditioning. Can you see that in your own experience? And lastly, we start retreat talking about and learning how to turn our attention toward the body because in a very pragmatic sense, we're following a map. We're following the map laid out in the Satipatthana Sutta or the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Beginning with body, moving uh, second to uh, Vedana in the Pali or feeling tones, uh, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Exploring the uh, the ways that we uh, categorically separate uh, all experience in these three ways: pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And how this ultimately, at the third foundation of mindfulness. Uh, sets us up for wanting and not wanting and uh, thinking, uh, distraction. Okay. So, four foundations of mindfulness also referred to sometimes as the four establishments, uh, sometimes the four contemplations. Establishment suggesting that these are places or locations or categories that can be utilized to develop mindfulness. Right? Uh, contemplation evokes the notion for me of investigation that there's, uh, there is some inquiry happening. It's different than the conventional learning or analysis that we might do in other contexts, but there is a kind of inquiry, and I'll, I'll say a little something about that. So what is this, uh, what is this mindfulness that everyone's talking about? So I'll give you, I'll give you my definition. Uh, mindfulness is uh, paying attention to the present moment and responding skillfully. Mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment and responding skillfully. And I believe it's the second part of this definition that makes mindfulness different than other mind states. So paying attention in the present moment and responding skillfully. So I want to define mindfulness further in, in three ways. The first, as I said, mindfulness uh, is responding uh, skillfully or includes an element of skillfulness. Uh, skillfulness conveys uh, the opposite of reactivity. Skillfulness conveys the opposite of reactivity. Uh, rather than reacting to a thought, rather than reacting to a difficult emotion or a memory or a sharp pain um, in the lower back um, by, by pushing it away or by trying to make something else happen, uh, the mind stays stable. Right? The mind is able to stay with the experience as it is. So 
typically what's happening is unconsciously or habitually we're either pushing away, right, I don't want, or simply we're just trying to fill the space in with something else, whatever, whatever we do want. Okay? So that's, uh, that's almost automatic, if you will, and we're, basic, we're trying to change that. So this stability of the mind that's not uh, pushing at experience or pulling is able, if you will, to see things more clearly. Is able to see things more clearly. Secondly, mindfulness is a combination uh, of concentration and awareness. So mindfulness is a combination of concentration and awareness, or we could say for concentration, attention. Mindfulness is a combination of attention and awareness. So attention is the quality of mind that attends to something, that uh, attends to or attends or pays attention to, for example, the feeling of your feet making contact with the floor. For example, your uh, right hand or arm resting on the clothing of your uh, right leg. The hips touching the chair or the meditation cushion. Okay. So attention is, the qu- attention is the quality of mind that tends to or focuses or pays attention to something. Awareness is the quality of mind that knows. Awareness is the quality of mind that knows what is being tended to. Awareness knows a sound to be a sound. Awareness knows a thought to be a thought. What makes awareness distinctive is that it recognizes mental and physical experience without an overlay of concept and idea without an overlay of concept and idea. So for example, awareness might, uh, might recognize the sound of uh, like the steady continuous sound of a cicada, for example, simply as hearing, okay? just that. Without the overlay of the image of what you think a cicada might look like, or uh, and without the overlay of any subjective interpretation based on uh, whether you like or dislike that sound, whether you have any opinion about the sound or the creature creating the sound. So awareness, then, is direct experience of mental and physical phenomena at its most basic level prior to conceptualization. Uh, Sometimes we refer to this as seeing clearly. Seeing clearly. So uh, seeing a thing for itself at its most basic level. And now the third element of uh, mindfulness is investigation, which I alluded to a few moments ago. So the third element of mindfulness is investigation. We are curious. We are curious about the idea of conditioning and its limitations, coupled with a curiosity about our own ability to go beyond our habitual way of seeing things. Traditionally, mindfulness is said to penetrate the many illusions that cloud our view so deeply that we see the true nature of all things. Meaning, ultimately, that we see or we understand how the mind works. We see or understand how the mind works. And by saying this, what's implied is that we see or understand what it is that we're doing or not doing that creates discontent, suffering, dis-ease, anxiousness. And ultimately, 
what we're seeing is what we're doing or not doing then to create the conditions for greater ease, well-being, contentment, happiness, joy, calm. Okay. So how do we practice mindfulness with the body? I don't think that the body is as complex as the mind and again as I said at the beginning of the talk I think that's one of the reasons why we start here it's a more coarse or basic or gross if you will experience but it often does feel uh, complicated to have a body right it doesn't just feel uncomfortable but it can feel complicated right but if we look at some of the teachings, uh, we see that, and this is, this is one of the reasons that I find it easy to get behind Buddhist teachings, to practice them, and to advocate uh, for others to use them, is because of their simplicity. You know, like, for example, the four foundations of mindfulness is essentially saying that all experience can be explored, uh, can be experienced and explored in these four ways, the four foundations of mindfulness. Right? And the Buddha does something similar in looking at the body. The, the Buddha says that basically the body is comprised of breath, sensation, and elemental qualities, these basic you know, the quality of wind or quality of fire that is, some would argue, uh, true of all natural things. Right. So I'll say a little bit about, about each of these ways of relating to the, to the body. So when we relate to the body at the level of breath, um, we're simply observing the rising and falling of the inhalation in the exhalation, right? So the, the body breathes in, there's a subtle lifting either at the belly or the uh, upper part of the torso, or maybe there's, uh, maybe we can feel the movement of air oxygen right at the tip of the nostrils. And when the body exhales, the belly or the torso uh, might drop or fall back, if you will, in the direction of the spine, right? So just a very natural rising and falling is the language that we sometimes use, rising and falling. So sometimes uh, working at this level is referred to as being mindful of the body within the body, the body of breath within this whole organism that we call body. From the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutra on the Four Foundations, and how yogis, does a yogi abide contemplating the body as a body? Here a yogi gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut or to Dharma, drum, monastery, sits down having folded their legs crosswise set their body erect and establish mindfulness in front. And here's the instructions. Ever mindful, they breathe in. Mindful, they breathe out. Ever is a, a reference to the important instruction for continuity, continuity of mindfulness. I think the Mindfulness Sutta says either 22 or 23 times the importance of continuity. So this is a instruction for practice. What if we could pay attention to every consecutive rising and falling of the breath? I can remember <clears throat> working with a teacher in Vermont almost 20 years ago when I first started meditating. And we were doing walking meditation in a big circle together as a group, you know, so very different than what we're doing here. And uh, it was a 30-day retreat, and somewhere in the middle, uh, the teacher said, 
Why don't you see if you can walk halfway around the room, noticing each placement of the foot? And I was thinking, dude, we've been on retreat for like two weeks. I'm going to nail it, right? And I couldn't do it. You know, like I couldn't get halfway around the room. Notice, you know, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And it really woke me up. You know, it really blasted some of my delusion and arrogance and uh, provided distinct insight. My conditioning is so strong. I actually, I cannot stay in the present moment doing this simple practice of left foot in front of right foot, so forth and so on, right? So we, we hear these instructions, ever mindful, breathe in, mindful, breathe out. And they're so simple, we might even assume that we're just doing it and we, you know, it's like, where's the, where's the instructions in this? Like, those are the instructions. So we can practice mindfulness of the body uh, with sensation. This is seeing the body as touch or contact between its different parts. Seeing the body as touch or contact between the different parts. I'll read a short passage from uh, Burmese teacher Mahasi Sayada. We can experience touch through the whole body the feet touch one another, the hands touch one another, and the hands touch the feet. The hands, feet, and hair touch the body, and the tongue touches the teeth and palate. Mucus, saliva, food, and water touch the throat and the palate. Many organs and substances inside the body touch one another, such as food and internal air that touch the intestines. Blood, internal air, flesh, sinews, and bones touch each other. We are also coming into contact with external things such as clothes, shoes, bed, pillow, blankets, the floor or ground, the wall, our umbrella or walking stick, stones and plants, the wind, sunlight and water, tools and furniture, and so on. So we're never without an opportunity to pay attention to the present moment to come home to the basic reality or truth of sensate experience. This is how we interact with our world. The question in terms of practice is simply whether we're aware of it or not. So we could do this right now with eyes open or closed. What is the, and just quietly, we're not, we won't have a discussion about this, but Just check in with yourself. What is the sensation that is most vivid? What is the sensation that's most vivid? What does that mean? What is the experience that rises to the surface of your awareness naturally? Don't try to make something happen. You don't even have to remember the list I just recited. Is it your feet on the floor, the hips on the cushion, your left elbow on your left knee? And does that sensation you located, does it stay the same or does it increase or decrease in its accessibility, how clear it is or how well you're able to contact it. Maybe it disappears and something different, a different sensation takes its place. This is mindfulness of body. Okay. And now the Buddha gives us a third way of practicing with the body that we, <clears throat> we don't often talk about, um, though I've been exploring it in my own practice for, for a couple of years, but 
significantly for about a year or so. And I've been doing a little bit of teaching in this area. And I started uh, this work teaching hatha yoga, teaching asana practice. Uh, but I now like to do it just sitting still or doing walking meditation. Um, I first learned of this practice by uh, from Bhikkhu Analia, who uses it um, really as one of the core uh, mindfulness of body practices. So I'm going to read a short passage first, also from Mahasi Sayadaw. The earth element is experienced via the characteristics of hardness. So this is all about connecting with the body at the level of characteristic. The earth element is experienced via the characteristic of hardness, softness, or smoothness. The fire element is experienced via the characteristics of heat, warmth, or cold. The air element is experienced through the characteristics of firmness, stiffness, or looseness. The water element is experienced via the characteristic of flowing or melting. This type of sensation is especially noticeable when sweat, mucus, or tears flow, when spitting or swallowing phlegm or saliva, or when urinating. So paying attention to the body at the level of elements is seeing the body as elemental rather than personal. This is the body. Qualitatively, the body has these characteristics. That's all that's going on prior to the addition of me and I. This is all that's happening. Right? Can you get even a small sense of the value of paying attention to experience at this level? Um, <clears throat> to say that this is all that's happening and that it's not personal is to suggest also that it's universal. I don't use the word interdependent so much, but this hints at that, that we are, we are interdependent to some extent in this shared relationship to the body. Right? So any of these aspects of experience, the breath, the feet on the floor, a sharp pain in your back, um, rising heat in the body, uh, coolness, the feeling of wind on the face, these are all anchors, these are all objects. This is the language we use to talk about how it is that we orient our attention. Right? These are uh, the objects of attention for meditation practice. Now the function, to be really simple, the function of an object is to be known. Period. The function of an object is to be known. And the function of awareness is to know the object. Period. That's the, that's the practice. The function of the object is to be known. And the function of awareness is to know. So again, locating, if you are interested in experimenting a little bit, what is the most vivid bodily experience for you right now? What is the most vivid bodily experience? Might be the same as last time, could be different. What are you noticing? Now when you lose contact with the object
come back to it, or if it's naturally replaced by another object that's more vivid, just rest your attention there. And now can you also notice the aspect of mind that knows? You might become aware that with distraction, there's a replacement. Awareness comes in, notices that you're distracted, and allows you to again tend to the object of your attention. You have this capacity. So just release that. So the practice can be very simple, right? I I sometimes think of these kind of teachings as um, not not big deal teachings. These are not big deal teachings. It's so ordinary. they're actually small deal, uh, in a sense. We, we underestimate often their value. Right? How, could this, how could this possibly be useful? I'll, I'll try to say something at the end about uh, how it is that we can see their value. But I thought before I did that, I'd, I'd talk tonight a little bit about uh, pain and, and discomfort. Because uh, whether you like some Uh, or all of these choices for practice, one of the inevitable experiences I think that we're going to share is discomfort and pain. So the first thing to say is that pain in the body is normal. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing something wrong. And to some extent, we're on a personal journey with Uh, learning how to work with pain and really doing this is a balance between regulation and toleration. So working with pain is a a balance between regulation and toleration. So if you're finding uh, today or at any time during the retreat that the pain is absolutely unbearable uh, we need to regulate. We encourage and invite you to do that uh, by changing your posture or you might change the object of your attention temporarily and see if that helps. So we're not asking you uh, to, in this mindfulness of body practice, to endure an unreasonable or uh, you know, significantly unsettling level of pain. That would not be skillful. That would not be wise. And yet, this is, uh, you know, clearly a discernment practice because, you know, are we moving uh, out of habit? Are we moving, uh, are we moving too soon? Because there's something about the discomfort that is, uh, makes us, makes us afraid or makes us scared, right? Now, uh, the toleration practice can be pursued Uh, Should you be really curious, ultimately? Should the mind have some equanimity, right? And if these two factors, a relatively stable mind and 
interest, curiosity. I feel this myself as an excitement for practice. I can be very excited to try something new. I can be very open, eager to uh, tolerate, to withstand uh, what I would otherwise not prefer uh, at the hope of learning something. That's, that's how I experience curiosity and interest. And when that is really strong, and I think you'll, you'll notice this, that that is really strong sometimes on practice, right? It's like a 10, and sometimes it's like a minus one. That's when you're sitting in the meditation hall and you're struggling and you're thinking, I think I'll just go to bed, right? But it's only 4.45 and you haven't had dinner yet, right? It's like, shit, I've got four more hours, right? So the, the, curiosity, the curiosity, the interest, the equanimity is low at that point, right? And so you might, you might get up then and maybe do some walking meditation, right? If there's a lot of pain, right? But there are gonna be other times in the practice when you might even, for example, be pain-free. The, bottom might be, the, the body might be calm, might be relaxed, temperature might be sweet, perfect, uh, you're, feeling, you're feeling really good. And all of a sudden, this is, this is what happens to me, all of a sudden I get hit with a, uh, like a lightning bolt in my, my right shoulder. And there's, some of you know this image because I talk about it a lot, that I, I'm hanging from my right scapula from a, from a meat hook and the, and the meat hook is hot, right? And, and connected to the point of the meat hook is a string and the string is hot and it goes up my back and up over my shoulder and up, up my neck. Uh, and it's the most horrendous pain that I've, it's definitely the most difficult pain that I've ever experienced. And it comes out of nowhere, right? All the time on every retreat, <laughs> right? And most of my retreat time has been about trying to make that go away, or, and, and trying to get insight, like trying to understand, like, where's this coming from, and what, you, you know, really digging around in it. Uh, and I don't know how clearly I can convey the story, but I can remember, I know where I was. Uh, I was in, not far from here, I was in Massachusetts at Insight Meditation Society, and, you know, like 15, years into practice and I saw it coming again and I was I was totally fed up with the pain I was I was I was completely exhausted by it and had some confidence moderate confidence in my practice and on this particular retreat incredibly curious I said you know what I wonder what's going to happen if I just hang out here you know uh, and I stopped calling it pain. I was doing noting practice and I was calling it pain. And I said, I'm just going to call it heat and I'm just going to call it sensation. I changed the way I was labeling it. And it turned the whole experience inside out. It was, I, am, I want to use the word miraculous, it completely, and actually it, it changed it so much that then there was a, there was a stage of confusion where I couldn't figure out if I was just having less pain, or I was, you like, what, do you see what I mean, like what happened? And I think what happened is, I removed the layer of aversion or resistance, and I, or wanting or needing it to be different. And the mind just kept getting more stable and more stable and more stable. So what felt like a 20 pain on a 10 scale, was like a, before, was like a five, and I was able to be with it. Uh, and it was really the first time I got a sense of what equanimity was oh it's like this it's like i don't i don't need things to be different so this is a possibility but it's not something that uh, you do every time the body becomes uncomfortable so you're exploring when to shift when to make a change and when to go if you will really into the center of some discomfort So a few concluding uh, thoughts. 
The Buddha spoke of the body as a source of joy that supports the development of concentration. A source of joy that supports the development of concentration. So when we get caught up on retreat, uh, when the mind pulls us into some horrific past event or projects us far into the future, uh, worried about what might or might not happen, um, we come back to the body. You know, uh, just feeling the rain touch the body, feeling the, the warmth, the heat of the ceramic teacup making contact with the hand, feeling maybe your barefoot on the concrete driveway, just simplify. Right? Just come back into the right now, just come, right? Can you feel your feet on the floor right now? Can you feel the clothing on your skin? Right? That's all we need to do in this practice. The Buddha spoke of the body as the simplest way to defeat the forces of ignorance and delusion in the mind. The simplest way to defeat the forces of ignorance and delusion in the mind. So this is, in a sense, swapping out, swapping out a culturally defined, uh, stigmatized and pressurized relationship to the body with wisdom and kindness. So wisdom is seeing the body as it really is. Mahasi Sayadaw said, we will understand that there is no person, being, woman, man, I, or mind, but only a collection of physical elements such as hardness, softness, heat, warmth, cold, tightness, looseness, movement, pulling, pushing, flowing, melting, wetness, expansion, and cohesion. And kindness is achieved through the gradual acceptance of the body. This is how the body is right now. This is how the body is right now. Whether you're walking by the mirror or again sitting down to the low back ache or the pain in the left knee. There's a kind of really subtle violence in rejecting yourself in the present moment, whether it's physically or emotionally. It's a very interesting inquiry. Why can't we be okay with the current experience that I'm having? Why is that? Why? Where and how does that become personal? Right? And third, on occasion in the suttas, when asked how to achieve awakening, the Buddha replied, meditate on the body. Meditate on the body. Implying that from mindfulness of body naturally comes mindfulness of everything else. Buddhist practice concerns itself with the purification of view. Right? The lens through which we see mind, body, our whole life, essentially. Knowing what is true, which is that which holds up under the lamp of investigation. And knowing what is untrue, or what is an illusion, which is that which does not hold up under the lamp of investigation. So through mindfulness, we, mindfulness of the body, we depersonalize the body. We depersonalize the body. Uh, this is different than trivializing the body. We still care for the body. We eat well, we sleep, we exercise sometimes. We take necessary med medications, but we avoid the added layer of suffering that comes from identification from making the body into a problem that needs to be resolved or absolved. 
We haven't done anything wrong in any conventional way. We don't give the body an owner and attach a self to it. Remember, only a self suffers, right? Only a self suffers. The body itself does not have suffering as an intrinsic truth to it. What we call a body is the impermanent and impersonal flux of breath, sensation, and its elemental qualities. In the absence of this identification, we find an absence of suffering. Okay, thank you for your attention. We'll sit together for just a moment.